The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. Father in heaven, we thank you for the joy that's before us, that one day we'll see you face to face. We thank you that there's no condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to love you more and serve you and others better. Bless our time together as we open your word. Holy Spirit, would you be here and uh, cause us to understand your word and to be able to apply it to ourselves and others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so this is the necessity of individualized counseling. Wow, what a zingy title. Boy, that just put you right to sleep, okay? Uh, but it, it says what we want to do. It's necessary for us to take the Word of God and individualize it to each person that we work with. Okay? Uh, there's a problem in the United States in general that impacts the biblical counseling movement, at least in, as my wife has taught me to say, in my not-so-humble opinion. Okay? Um, there's a problem. Why? Because we're Americans, and Americans to the core are pragmatic. In other words, what works is assumed to be right because it it works. <laughs> right? Uh, so um, that, that's the way. Utility, you know, whether something functions and works well, is more important to Americans than whether it's true. Right? Just think about it. Is the Trinity true? Of course it is. Okay? Is the two natures of Jesus Christ, divine and human, fully in one person without me? Is that Yes, it's true. But for most people, so what? What difference does it make? Doesn't raise up the economy. So consequently for Americans, you know, people say, it's all about the economy, stupid. Well, doesn't matter whether you're a father stabbing, mother raping, no good, Nick, you know, if you can build the economy, you're a great candidate, right? The bottom line is truth is more important to God than utility. Uh, so Americans are into, uh, if you get a DUI, almost for sure you'll be sent to what? A 12-step program, okay? Because supposedly it works. Now, if you really check the statistics, you'll find out that 12-step programs really don't have uh, as much success as people really believe that they do. But that's culturally, we take the 12-step program, etc. So people are often used to ask, uh, haven't had it in a while, but what is biblical counseling's success rate? Think about that. Think about that. Step back now. You want me to evaluate the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It's really what you're asking me to do. Uh, how does the Holy Spirit work in people in biblical counseling compared to people that don't? See, that's a typical American idea. Okay? Um, now, again, we do want to see people change. We want to help people. But this pragmatic approach can be dangerous. In our circles, it, it, it works this way. 
you know, I don't know if I'm stepping on toes, sorry, but, you know, the word faith movement, you know? If you had enough faith, your kid wouldn't have died. Now, is that about cruel or what? You know, if you, if you had really had faith, God would have healed your kid and he wouldn't have died. Okay? In our circles, it usually comes across, if you had been the right kind of parent, your kid wouldn't have gone into the tank. Right? Okay? So, so that's the pragmatic thing. If you put the right formula. That's why Jim Neuheiser wrote a little booklet. Okay? Whatever else you read of his, read the one called Parenting is Not a Formula. Okay? So, uh, and Jay Adams wrote a book that most people don't even know that he ever wrote. It's called Insight and Creativity into Counseling. Because one of his concerns was, as the biblical counseling movement was growing, that people will get this kind of ticky-tacky approach, a canned approach, rip a page out of this, give this to this homework, and everything will be fine. Okay? And so uh, some of us, and myself included, right? Be honest. As good Americans and good Christians, we want. We just want a formula. The three causes of bulimia and the seven steps out of it, right? Because what do we want? Oh, oh, you got, oh, you struggle with this? Okay, fine. I'm going to plug you in here, crank you out here, and you're going to come out you know, Christian sausage, <clears throat> looking like Jesus, okay? So I grind you up, put you through the program, and voila. Well, guys, uh, if you read your Bible, being taken out of the Ur of Chaldees doesn't lead Abraham always to go, yeah, this woman's my wife. Just, just tell him you're my sister. Dude, you don't do that to your sister. <laughs> <laughs> that's your wife. Why did you? Well, because there was no fear of God. Well, that's the next, next hour, okay? The fear of God. Um, so we want a formula, the neat step-by-step approach that will address all the individuals with that particular problem, and they'll come out uh, being like Jesus Christ. Well, it doesn't work that way. So let's just put it this way, um, perhaps twisting it a bit, but... Remember when Moses comes to the burning bush and the pre-incarnate Christ is there? Take off your shoes. Take off your sandals off your feet. You are on holy ground. And, and beloved, when we come to individuals, in a sense, we're coming to, to holy ground. Because <clears throat> it's only God that can really change that person into the image of Jesus Christ, which is our goal. It's not getting people sober. It's not keeping people from binging and purging. It's not getting addicts, you know, free. And as, as Welsh said in his talk, so I think it was last night, there are people all over the place that get sober apart from Jesus Christ. They still go to hell, uh, but they go to hell sober. <laughs> So our goal is to bring them into conform with Christ. So this American penchant for individualism also, just as a general uh, thought, doesn't really quite comport with the Bible when you think about it. Uh, as you read your Bible, um, yes, God is concerned about individuals, right? But most of the pastoral epistles in the New Testament are written to whom? Churches. Groups of people, right, churches. <clears throat> 
And when Jesus, the risen Jesus Christ, you know, shows up at Patmos, you know, and talks to John and says, I want you to talk to the seven churches, you know, in Asia Minor, he's talking to groups of people. Now, God is concerned about individuals, right? As you read your Bible, you see that God chooses individuals, okay? Uh, But primarily, he's addressing uh, groups of people. So the larger issue for God is, here's this. Are you in the first Adam or the second Adam? Are you in this big group, which is all mankind? Are you in this big group in Jesus Christ? So I want you to think of all those things. So Americans are always into kind of like Alfred Adler was into individual psychology. No secular guy. That's typical Americans. What makes you, you? I think the Bible is much more concerned as what makes you like Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind. And uh, we'll look at this. Now, Proverbs 18.13. Does anybody know that verse? Proverbs 18.13. Open book. You can look in your Bible. Or at your uh, Palm Pilot. Oh, it's not Palm Pilots now. Your iPhones or whatever. <laughs> I told my wife, you're into the occult. She said, what do you mean? So you become a palm reader. <laughs> didn't like that one. Okay, so go ahead. Okay, so someone read for us Proverbs 18, 13. He gives an answer before he hears. It is falling and shame to Okay, so if someone gives an answer before they hear out, it's, it's folly and shame to them. Now, this is a general principle that you need to remember. And, okay, and we're going to see it apply to individuals. If you don't know this particular individual and his or her circumstances, what might you do? You might give the wrong advice. So if I'm giving a general sermon about putting off the old and putting on the new and being like Jesus Christ, okay, that might hit a bunch of people. But if I've got a guy that's committing adultery, what do I need to be preaching on? Don't commit Adultery. Because this is the specific, you know, remember the rich young ruler? I mentioned that in uh, last night's seminar. Rich young ruler comes in and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, why are you calling me good? First of all, only God is good. And Jesus is really claiming to to be God. He says, why are you calling me good? Because the guy thought he was good as well as Jesus. He says, look, okay, you, you know what the commandments are? Uh, keep the commandments. He says, well, I've kept them all. Really? Really? As I said last night, he gave him a homework assignment. Two steps. One, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And you'll have eternal life. That was individualized because the problem with this young man was he thought he was okay. But he wasn't. He was in bed with his riches. That was his mistress. And he went away Sorrowful, okay. And that's why Jesus, when Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, okay, here's the real issue for you. Yeah, maybe we're not having this big problem with adultery and stealing and, you know, dissing your parents, but okay, here's the deal. You love your bling bling. And if you're not willing to give it up and follow me, you don't inherit eternal life. See how specific that is? How individualized that is. 
So let's go through this. You have your notes. Uh, obviously, let's look at Paul because, you know, Jesus is perfect. We mentioned that last night. He's the great, uh, he's the wonderful counselor, the supernatural, awe-provoking uh, counselor. Uh, Nicodemus, this is what you need. Woman at the well, this is what you need. Uh, a ruler whose kid is dying, this is what you need, etc., etc., etc. Individualized. But let's look at Paul. Okay, let's think about the Apostle Paul. Because Paul's a sinner. And uh, we can't say, oh, well, Jesus is perfect and the God-man. And so we can't really learn. Okay, so what's Paul like? What do we know about Paul? The Apostle Paul. He was what? He was Jewish. Jewish to the core. Uh, Just just, uh, turn over to Philippians. Okay, we won't read it. But you know that well-known passage. Okay. Okay, Philippians uh, 3, where uh, Paul kind of mentions, okay, uh, what he was like. Finally, my brothers, I rejoice in the Lord to write same things to you. It's no trouble to me and safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are, what? We're the real circumcision. Born again, Christians are the real circumcised people. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has circumcised our heart. Or put it in New Testament terms, He's baptized our hearts. Our natures have been changed, okay? Who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. Though I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuted the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, etc. So there's the description. I mean, Paul's Jewish. Just like Jesus is Jewish. Okay? So he, he's an ethnic Jew. Okay. Now, does Paul evangelize the same way when he's with pagans as he is when he's in Jewish synagogue? Well, but, all right, you're shaking your heads. No, look, look at 1 Corinthians 9. So here's, here's a model for us as well as Jesus in the Gospel of John as he counsels these individuals and he applies what? For Jesus, it was what? Jesus is the bottom line. I'm the Messiah. As the serpents lifted in the wilderness, come on, Nicodemus, you don't know your Old Testament. I'm the Messiah. Woman at the well, he who speaks to you, <clears throat> I'm the Messiah. <clears throat> right down the line to the man born blind. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he? I am. So the bottom line is Jesus because he's the answer to every individual's problem. But he gets there differently. He adapts to the individual. He has a Bible study with Nicodemus. With the woman at the well, he goes through drinks and buckets and whose well this is, you know, the whole thing, okay? The, who, who's right, the Jews or the Samaritans, etc. Now listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. So this is a model for us in terms of what to do. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 uh, to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
Here. To the what? The Jews, I become what? As a Jew. So he still goes to the synagogue. He still goes, okay, to the temple. Remember Ephesians, he's, you know, the church at Ephesus, he's, he's hustling to get to there by Pentecost. Okay, he's keeping all these, these things. To the Jew, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. <clears throat> to those under what? The law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. <clears throat> to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might what? <clears throat> win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So, so there's Paul saying, <clears throat> I'm adaptable. And you can see the difference in some of the sermons, the defense that he gives before Felix and, and others. And you see the difference that he, he does when he's in the synagogue, okay? Or when he's on Mars Hill, okay? Mars Hill, I would argue, he doesn't change his apologetic method. <laughs> he just uses the data that they have, okay? Uh, the unknown God. So, so he's very adaptable in his evangelism. And then the third point there is, uh, but this is but a reflection of Jesus's counseling in the book of John. Jesus is always the bottom line. However, he adapts to the individual, the individual disciples. Peter, you're, you're going to be a rock. Uh, Nathaniel, you're a man without God. What? How did you know me? Oh, well, when you run to the fig tree, I said, wow, you must be the son of God. Whoa! Nathaniel, you're blown away. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till you see angels ascending and descending on me. You know? I'm Jacob's ladder, you know? I am, I am the bridge between heaven and, and you. Anyway, so he deals with them individually, right? And then... He adapts uh, to them. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, etc. So all of this is simply the main point. Know your counselee. There are going to be something similar, right? You're a woman. You're a woman. Well, that's some similarities, right? But your lives are somewhat different. Okay? So there are similarities and dissimilarities, and that's what you have to learn. Jay Adams would always remind me, don't get too comfortable and get to the point where you think you really know what you're doing. Because at that point, God will throw you a curveball. <clears throat> I think it's a knuckleball. Because <laughs> you, know, you can swing and miss at a curveball. A knuckleball, you can swing three times on the same pitch and miss it, okay? <laughs> So the bottom line is if you say, oh, I know you are X, Y, Z, etc. Therefore, you make that mistake. So what the main point, and you've known this, and this is from your basic course, you need data and more data and more data. 
The more you know about the person, about the person's circumstances, the better you are able to take the scripture and say, this is what you need. So, the second point is you need to understand and distinguish between types of people. Let's turn over to a passage that's uh, often quoted and should be in uh, biblical counseling. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me back up to 12 and read that down to uh, 22. Here's uh, closing instructions. Remember, uh, Paul said, look, our gospel came to you in power and you were converted. You turned from idols to serve the living God. And now we want to tell you, don't, don't get upset. You know, Jesus hasn't returned yet. Okay, and uh, don't worry about those that have died ahead of us because what's going to happen, the day of the Lord's going to come. So he gives these final instructions and a blessing. He says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, holding fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then, of course, he goes into this wonderful benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, for our purposes, some of these things, just let's go through this passage. Some of these things you have to do with every counsel that you have, right? You can see some of those that are common just to other people. Some of them are very particular, okay? Uh, so you need to respect authority and people labor over you. Uh, be at peace among yourselves. A lot of our work as counselors, peacemaking, okay? And here comes the particulars. And we urge you, brothers, what? What's the first thing? Admonish, okay? Who? The idol. Okay? Admonish the idol. Okay, first of all, what does admonish mean? Put it in your own terms. Correct. Strongly. Strongly, correct, rebuke, okay? And listen. Get with it. <clears throat> okay? Okay? Or should I say stop? No. Okay. Okay? 
get with it, okay? Not only stop it, but put something in its place, okay? So there's an admonition. It's a strong word to what? Who? The idol, okay? And that's a category. There are going to be some counselees that you have that are just to be blunt, lazy, not working at the Christian life. Some because they're not converted, some, you know, for whatever, they fall into sin. But, but people who are idle should get what? A rebuke. Get up off your, you say it nicely, get up off your tush. Get your tush moving. Okay? Why? Because if you don't, God's going to haul you out of that seat and he's going to nail you. Now, I know this is not popular in, in most uh, biblical counseling circles anymore. You know, oh, it's too harsh. Uh, man, I, my Bible is full of all kinds of admonitions where God goes, don't do that. And if you do that, what's going to happen? Okay. See this tree? Don't eat it. Why? Because the day you eat it, you will surely die. Now, I wasn't there. The text doesn't tell us, but I bet you dollars to donuts that Adam said, what's death? And God at least said to him, you don't want to go there. Now, he probably gave more details, but the bottom line is, don't do that. You admonish a person who should be moving that's sitting still. There's a train coming and you're sitting on the track and you're going to be flatter than a pancake if you don't get up and move off this track. Now, why do I mention that? Because there are going to be people <coughs> who you counsel that are just basically doing nothing. This is the one I like. I, I love this proverb. The sluggard puts his hand in the can anyone finish that? Dish and can't bring it to his mouth. I mean, this is a picture. And sometimes I'm doing this now to some people. I don't want to pick on you, but you're close. Okay. <laughs> Ma'am, I've been putting, I've been trying to put your hand in Jesus Christ and you won't bring him to your mouth. I can push it up and shove him in your face, but Please don't be a spiritual sluggard. You haven't done anything that I've asked you to do. You see my point? A person who refuses for whatever reason. What does the sluggard say? There's a lion. Yeah, you're right. There's a lion in the street. I might get eaten up. Yeah, dude, it's a lion of the tribe of Judah, and you are going to get eaten. Okay? (laughs) Bottom line is... That's a kind of person. And you don't want to accuse the person immediately when you meet them, but you you learn this person is an idle person. He or she is not doing anything to help him or herself. And what should that take? A strong admonition. Not anger, not bitterness, because notice we're going to be patient with everyone. But sometimes you really have to say, please, please, Don't be a spiritual sluggard 
I'm trying to put you into Christ and bring him to your mouth and you won't drink of the, of the water of life. You won't eat the bread of life. Okay? So, so that's the idol. Okay, what's the next, the next thing we're told here? Encourage the faint-hearted. Does that sound a little different? It is, right? The one is, hey, yo, wake up. Get off the track, okay? Now, the faint-hearted. What's a faint-hearted person? Someone's about to pass out. Someone's about to pass out. Okay, just to even break the word down, faint-hearted. Not decisive. Huh? Not decisive. It could be not decisive, uh, but the picture is... Not brave. Yeah, they just, they don't have a lot of courage. They don't have a lot of strength. They, I, I can't do it. I can't. And what are you supposed to do to that person? Encourage or enhearten the person. Now, again, we're not talking about moralism, but... You're a Christian! Right? You're baptized. You're in a Bible-believing church. You've been born again. You can do this. No, I can't. Yes, you can. You're united to Jesus Christ. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places have been yours and given to you in Christ. And they're poured out in the Spirit. You can do this. It's not the little red engine that could. I know I could. I know I could. But, but it's Christian exhortation. You're a child of God. You're not a dumb, idol-worshiping pagan. You've been plugged into Christ, and the Holy Spirit's making you become like Him. You can do this. I can't. Give you a personal example. Um, Without giving you my whole testimony, when I became a Christian, I had walked the aisle, I can't tell you how many times. Billy Graham Crusades, Youth crusades, you know, at the fire, or give your life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ so many times, you know. Bottom line was I wasn't born again. And when I finally heard the doctrines of grace in seminary, you know, I came to Christ. And first of all, I was, I was angry. God chooses people? How un-American. How unfair. You know, you know, like I go, and then all of a sudden I go, Oops, if God really is like that, I'm in deep kimchi. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm telling God, whoa, he didn't swat me, okay? So, so I moved from who's God to like, whoa, I may be up an eternal creek without a paddle. You know, then to what? Dude, if you send me to hell, that's what I deserve. <laughs> you know, I started reading my Bible, and, you know, oh, that's what I deserve. But then it came to the whole point of, if I ask God to save me, how do I know I mean it? It's never worked before. What will make this different? So you can see, struggled with, you know, doubts of assurance. And when I finally came, the spirit worked in me. You know, I said, God, I'll never doubt you again. Because if I say you won't save me, I'm calling you a liar. I came to peace. And then I went into pastorate. <laughs> okay? You know, and I went into the pastorate, you know, probably too, too early, you know, new Christian. 
But I went in the pastorate, you know, and I uh, had a wonderful guy who had started the church. He was there 40 years. Everyone said, get out of town. But it was a blessing that he stuck around. He actually bought the property next to the manse, built a house, and stuck around. It was good. We'd pray together. He was helping me. So, so one day, you know, um, uh, two incidences, okay? Hey, now, I'm a brash guy. You can tell that, okay? Uh, I'm not exactly the smoothest, you know, suavitero moto, okay? I'm straight from Philly, you know, and sound like that, okay? So, uh, but I got in the pastorate, and people wouldn't come to me. And they'd go to the former pastor and say, I, I can't go to him. Why? <clears throat> he's your pastor. You have to go to him now. I'm not sure he's a Christian. <laughs> he's so blunt and mean or whatever. Because I mean, when, I, when I got saved in seminary and saw Jay Adams' counsel, I really came away with this idea. God's going to kill him or convert him. I, I'm serious. It wasn't mean, but I just I saw God work in people's lives and marvels. And I think, hey, God's either going to convert him or kill him. And... Uh, and so then, you know, wow, man, I'm not loving enough to be a pastor, you know? Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be a pastor. After two weeks of that, right? What's the next step? Well, aren't all Christians supposed to be what? Loving. Maybe you're not a Christian. And I... I not literally, someone could smell the sulfur. It's from the pit of hell. I mean, I almost went over the edge and, and, and broke my vow never to, to mistrust God. And I can still remember Harmony, New Jersey, walking around, just like, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Not because I'm good, but because God saved me. I needed what? I was a pretty wimp at that point. I needed encouragement, okay? And uh, went to the pastor. There was another, another thing. I said, Lou, man, I don't, what, you know, I've been thinking. I've been thinking, what if somebody puts a gun to my head and say, deny Jesus Christ or I'll blow you away? I said, I don't know how I'd react under the pressure. And I'll never forget his answer. He looked at me and says, why would God waste dying grace on you when he's not asking you to die for him? And I've never worried about that since. So I hope if ISIS, you know, threatens to slit my throat, the last thing to do is I'll go, you know, there's only one God, and Jehovah is his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the prophet. But the bottom line is, you see, now it's interesting. I can be a but lazy person at times, but there are times when I, I need encouragement, you see? And getting on my case wouldn't have helped me at that point. I need to come alongside and say, you got the Holy Spirit? You have the Word of God? You've got the church? That's all God promises, and that's everything you need for life and godliness. You can do, see what I'm saying? Encouragement. What's the third category? Help the weak. What's that? Okay, a person who's weak doesn't have the strength to what? Do the journey. So what do you do with that person? Do you admonish them? Do you go, you can do it? Encourage them? What do you do? Yes. Haul his sorry carcass over the line. You just, you just help them, right? You just get them and 
drag that person along. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like one of those deals. You know, it's kind of the way people present the gospel. Yeah, we have to, we have to pray to God. But it's like, you know, the Bible presents salvation this way. You're drowning and you're going under and Jesus doesn't come and tap you on the shoulder. Excuse me, would you like to be saved? Because after all, you know, I'm going to knock on the door of your heart and, and I won't possibly intrude in. And, you know, the door doesn't have a, that's bad theology from a bad drawing of Jesus. You never saw a Jew that looked like that Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes. OK, <laughs> nobody in Palestine looks like that. OK, and so people preach the gospel from this artist's rendition, you know, and, and where's it come from anyway? Behold, I stand at the door and where's that from? That's through Revelation. And it's more like this. Hello, I'm the Lord of the church and I'm knocking on your door. Open up and repent and we'll sit down and sup together. But if you don't, guess what? I'm blowing out your leg. That's the, that's the ambiance of the passage. The risen Jesus Christ is saying here, hey, I'm the one, the Alpha and the Omega. I was dead and I'm now alive and I've come here and I got a lot of good things to say about you, but there's also some bad things and you need to repent. Huh? So the, the person who is drowning, you just what? You haul the person to shore and pray they don't get, I could have done that myself anyway. Oh, by the way, you know, I heard Keith Palmer for a bit before I had to do a podcast today, and he was doing good about a discouraged counselor. Just, they tell you in water safety instruction. Anybody ever do lifeguard? What do they tell you? Never approach a drowning swimmer from the front. Right. He'll take you under. So I've modified that. Never approach a drowning sinner from the front. <laughs> Sneak up behind him, okay? and haul them to shore. So, so here's three, at least three categories. The, the idle or rebellious, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And they all get what? Be patient with them all. Yeah, they all get patience, but they get different treatment. That's what I want you to see. One size doesn't fit all. And here's the weird thing. Uh, I don't know about you. I'll confess my own sins. I've been idle at certain times. And other times I've been discouraged. And there's other times when I'm just plain out what? Weak. And sometimes it's really weird. The same person will manifest these things differently at different times you're counseling. And you have to be sensitive to this. Why? Because you have to change your tactics. I don't know if you play sports or anything, uh, chess or whatever. You know, if what you're doing isn't working, what do you have to do? Change your tactics. You know, frontal attacks don't usually work because you usually have to have the three or five to one ratio to actually make the frontal attack, okay? So we even see this in scriptures, right? When David commits adultery with Bathsheba, how does Nathan confront him? Story. A story. He doesn't come and go, dude, you deserve to die. You killed a guy to cover your adultery. That's double capital offense. Dude, you need to die. So he comes and he goes, and I think God gave it to him. 
Ah, there was this really rich, really, really, really rich guy who had lots and lots of sheep. And across the way, there was one little poor guy who had one, I say one, one ewe lamb. That's like female lamb, okay? Okay, okay, right? Here's all the details of the story. And, and the rich guy's friend comes over, and what's he do? He steals the little lamb, kills it, and feeds it to his buddy. King, render your judgment. What's David do? He deserves to die, but he knows the law. He goes, I have to restore fourfold. You to man. See? Very indirect approach, because most of the prophets who came in and said, you're sinning, what ended up with them? So, so do you see how important it is tactically? Now, David at that point was a hostile counselee. And, and uh, you know, the spirit had to soften him up. Now, was he guilty? We know that from reading Psalm 32, Psalm 38, and Psalm 51. He was a hurting cowboy, well, shepherd, I should say. He's a hurting shepherd. He knew he was wrong, but he wasn't repenting because he didn't see how ugly and odious his sin was. See? So, so that's what's necessary, okay? Um, well, to go on. Patient with all of them. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. You can't do that to your counselee. You were nasty to me. I mean, if you sin against a counselee, just ask for forgiveness. It's a good model, right? I'll pick on you. I'll look past her and say, hey, you know, last week when you came in here, you were looking for an argument, and I was all too glad to give it to you. Now, what I said was biblical, but I didn't say it in a very godly manner. Will you please forgive me? See? So you got to be patient with everyone, okay? You don't return evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Got to be patient. There was a woman in my congregation, first congregation. Boy, that was, boy, I got stories from that first eight years, man. And, and this lady was something else. She said, first counseling case, would you please go talk to my husband? He's living with another woman. Can you please tell him to come home? So I went and saw him, right? And I exhorted him. I said, you've got to come home. You have no biblical grounds. He wasn't a Christian, but, you know. And uh, he divorced her. She blamed me. <laughs> he divorced me because you offended him. <laughs> Whoa. I only went over and told him what you told me. To you know what I'm saying? Now, this is very interesting. She later, I think, got converted in, a, in, a, in a, an Assembly of God street meeting, okay? And we were talking later, and I told her, she said, oh, I didn't say that to you. I said, you most certainly did, <laughs> okay? Because they will look at you, and they will blame you. You can't retaliate. You have to be like Christ and gentle, okay? So uh, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without, thank you. Thank you for all the garbage you're pouring out on me because you're giving me an opportunity to grow in grace. I can't thank you enough for how you're treating me. Now, it's wrong, but thank you very much. I mean, that's a different attitude, isn't it? Then how could you treat me like that? 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray at the beginning of the counseling. Uh, pray during it. Pray, pray at the end. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. What? For this? Yes. It changes your whole attitude. Someone was trying to get me fired once. It was unfair. It was wrong. They later asked for forgiveness years later. But, you know, at that time, they didn't see it. And I'm grousing and complaining as a, as a sinner, you know. And then all of a sudden, I realize, Scipione, you hot dog. What makes you think you're going to get through Christian ministry without getting dumped on when Jesus was perfect? And you aren't even close to that. And what happens? He gets nailed to a cross. You chump, stop complaining. Rejoice in the Lord. Give thanks. God, th I wasn't thankful. You know why? Because once in my poor, pitiful life, I was actually right. <laughs> and that doesn't happen often. But I was right, and I was getting persecuted for it. I should have been happy. Okay, rejoicing in all these circumstances. Okay, so, so I hope I'm beginning to, to get you to see you have to judge people individually. Make sense? Okay, I'll throw it in here. It's later in your, your, uh, in, in your notes there on the next page. Um, study and know people. I gave a talk here at the June Institute back in 2012. You probably can access it. And it was called Personality. Okay, and here's my contention. I'll summarize it for real quickly. The Bible doesn't talk in terms of extrovert, introvert. It doesn't talk in the terms of caloric, sanguine, you know, whatever, okay? Those categories, even if they're semi-accurate, most of them aren't, it's not on God's radar. What's on God's radar? Sluggard, naive, wise, foolish. The wisdom literature, and I think this is a demon project or a PhD for someone, to go into the wisdom literature and say, here are the characteristics of people, the categories that God puts people in. I mean, there's two big ones, right? Regenerate and unregenerate. You know, God's people in the world. But there's subcategories under all of those, right? Under the regenerate, we have idle, weak, you know, disheartened, etc. Uh, so, see, that's where we have to go to begin to see types. And so, once we begin to say, well, this person is naive. And here's what Proverbs and the rest of the scripture says that the naive person needs. Does that make sense? Here's the proud and arrogant person. What, what does the proud and arrogant person need? They need God's sarcasm. By the way, God has a sense of humor. People always say, yeah. But 99% of the time, if you study it carefully, if God's laughing, somebody better duck. Really? I'm serious. He who sits in the heaven laughs. What? You and what puny army are going to try to rip Jesus Christ off the throne? Are you kidding? You better bow down now. ISIS has got a big problem. It's called Jesus. Okay? Uh, the United States has got a big problem. It's called Jesus. Because if you don't bow the knee to Jesus Christ, 
There is literally hell to pay for it all eternity. Okay. So, so these are the categories that we need to think in. So, so again, begin to study the scripture. How does God describe people? And how does this person fit into those descriptions at this particular point? Sometimes, you know, it's going to be part of counseling. It's very important. This person comes in. I have people like this. Uh, are you a Christian? Yes. Well, tell me what a Christian is. That's not a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. No, you're not. I try to be polite about it. But no, you're not. Okay. Let me ask you this. Are you good? Yes, I'm good. You are? Well, let me ask you a question. Why are you going to die? He goes, well, everybody's going to die. You got it. Because everybody is a sinner. That's the consequences. See, this guy didn't have a biblical, you know, so again, I wasn't mean, but I had to confront him with the reality of what the scripture says. So that's the kind of person. Okay, so I hope that that, that helps you. The, th the third main point is this, on the second page, you need to understand and distinguish several circumstances. Look at Colossians 4. It's not only the people, but what are they facing, right? We can have some people that are discouraged because what? They discourage themselves. Hello, my wife calls me Ned Negative. Okay, that's my nickname, one of them. Okay, Ned negative. She's poly positive. Okay, my wife says, you know, Skip, you can pull, you know, the feet out of the jaws of victory any day of the week and save it. Okay, I'm puddle glum. If that means anything to you, Chronicles of Narnia. That's uh, that's her nickname for me. Is your puddle glum? Okay. So uh, different types of people, but there's also different circumstances. If you have a person who's discouraged, who've been what? They've been sexually and physically assaulted by their husband or by their parent, and they're discouraged, you're facing something different, right? If the circumstances are different, so you have to examine them, okay? And this is nothing but the stuff that we've been telling you all along in terms of basic counseling, biblical counseling 101. Look at uh, Colossians 4. Verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So here's Paul saying, please pray for me that I be able to communicate the gospel clearly. So then here it comes, conduct yourselves, what? Wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So each individual, they face circumstances. And of course, this is the trickiness in counseling. Sometimes those circumstances will change while you're counseling a person. You know, they come in, marriage is breaking up, you're trying to salvage that, now they're separated, the divorce procedure goes on. So the circumstances have changed. So you need to not only know as much as you can about the person, you need to know as much as you can about the circumstances in which he or she or the couple are embedded. Make sense? Okay. 
because those life circumstances help to shape where they're at. And you need to know that. So, <clears throat> in your notes, you must be devoted to prayer and watchfulness and thanksgiving and must be bold and clear in what you say. And you need wisdom, especially with uh, unbelievers. And uh, by the way, that's a, another seminar that I could give. But uh, real quick, how do you work with non-believers? I gave a talk at a NANC, now ACBC conference years ago, uh, playing on the Proverbs. Remember, Proverbs says, don't rebuke a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. Rebuke a fool according to his folly, lest he become wise in his own eye. Yeah? They're put together. You know, are these contradictory? No, they're complementary. Yeah? And so I gave two points. You must not counsel an unbeliever because you have to evangelize. And secondly, you must counsel an unbeliever. Okay? It's, it's the nuance. And so what do you do? It's not just I go through the Roman road or I just go through some kind of a presentation of the gospel. You evangelize through the problem. Okay? So, for example, sir, since you don't know Jesus Christ, how can you convey the love of Christ to your wife? You're supposed to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And if you would do that, she would probably respond differently. So I'm, I'm, I'm evangelizing the person through the issues that they come in with. Yes, sir, if you'd stop beating your wife, things would probably go a lot better. You know, bought her, bought her some flowers, that might be nice too. But guess what? Six months from now, she'll probably do something you don't like and you'll pop her again. So the bottom line is, unless you change, it's not going to work. Does that make sense? Uh, I, I can, you know, I'm evangelizing a guy over a year. It's longer than I normally work, but this guy's uh, not a believer. Um, and uh, he's going through AA. And as much as I don't like that, I'm not, you know, fine. He's beginning to see it because he's getting in trouble at his AA meetings. Because what's he saying? No, Jesus is the higher power. You know, it isn't, it isn't you know, whatever you think it is. Only, G you know, and of course they don't like that. Okay? Okay? And so it's, com it's coming to the gospel. Okay? And so what am I doing? I'm getting him to read the Bible. When he first read the Bible, he didn't even know, you know, comes from a Catholic background and, you know, I asked him to read and he started reading the notes. So I had to say, no, 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 no. That's what a Catholic commentary did. You know, we Protestants have ours, but the bottom line is that's not the Bible. The Bible is the stuff above that line. This is what God said. This is what people think he said. You know, so, and that's just, I, I'm evangelizing him through the issue. He was sent in by a, a believing relative who said, you need to go and get biblical counseling for help with your drinking. See, and now we're down at a different level. We've moved over, hey, drinking isn't the problem. What's the problem? Fear and pride. Yeah? Yeah? So, so you see, we're, we're going down and working back through the issue. Well, why do you drink? When do you drink? Huh? Drinking isn't the issue. The issue is why? You want to be in control of your life, and you're not. So, so I hope that makes sense in terms of as I learn the circumstances, I can apply the scripture to this circumstance generally and, and adapt it to this particular person. Are they 
idle? Are they discouraged? Are they just plain old weak? Okay. And so it's that kind of distinction. Now you say, this is, this is driving me crazy. You've given me 25 different categories and I can't put them all together, right? Okay, it's okay. It'll start to fall into place. Uh, I have never had the experience of learning another language. Okay, there's about six or seven I've tried. I can't get any of them, including English. Okay. <laughs> And uh, I talk South Philly, okay? So uh, that's a different language, okay? So the bottom line is, but I'll listen to Brazilian radio, okay? Because I'm trying to learn Brazilian Portuguese, right? So my D-Min student comes in and he starts laughing. Why are you laughing? He says, do you know what you're listening to? I said, yeah, it's a Brazilian music. He says, yeah, but do you know what the guy's saying? Oh, I said, he said, let's go have another beer. Let's go have another beer. Let's have another beer. You'd be drunk by now. And the bottom line is, okay. But now, here's interesting. It's not just a bunch of syllables. I actually hear words. Okay? I'm not there yet, you know. You know, but, but you know, I'm beginning to hear individuals. Beginning to, the, the, the confusion is beginning to fall into certain categories. And that's what will happen to you when you begin to work with people. I hate to say it, and, and you don't want to hurt anybody, but you're going to make a lot of mistakes. There's, there's only been Jesus Christ as the only perfect counselor and the other counselor. They don't make mistakes. We do. It's part of being in a fallen world and God choosing to use us, okay? So, again, this is what you need to do. Let me finish up. This is the opposite, however, of Bible study. We're preaching. Bible study is where you study a passage and you take this passage and try to apply it to everybody. Okay? Counseling is what? Taking the whole Bible and trying to apply it to this particular person in his or her circumstances, which is, I think, a little more complicated. Okay? But that's the process in terms of counseling. Well, finally, exhortation for life. The big question is how to do this. Well, go back to study your Bible and start taking notes. List these categories in the wisdom literature, etc. See that talk on personality. Study and know how to properly apply the scriptures to individuals starting with yourself. Study and learn from others, books, articles, personal conversations. Pray, pray, and pray for wisdom. James 1. You don't have it? Ask. God will give it to you. This is a whole nother uh, seminar that I, I don't think I've ever heard a seminar at any of our conferences in the last 50 years on prayer and the necessity of prayer and counseling. But that's, again, a seminar for another time. Grow in knowledge and wisdom. Learn from others. Record the lessons God gives to you providentially. Oh, yes, and did I mention prayer? Okay, pray. Okay, let's uh, end up here. Uh, we have two or three minutes. Any questions on terms of individualizing uh, counsel and the necessity for doing that? Yes, sir. Over the course of your time counseling, uh, in the times that you've been most effective in helping someone, what, what has been the main factor around you? Okay, so well, that's a tough question. So the question is, over your experience with the 40 whatever years of counseling, you know, what has made things most effective, okay? Really, uh, the kind of uh, 
crosshairs, if we want to use this, you know, firing mechanism. It's kind of really when God brings the circumstances and the person and the proper scripture together, where, I, where I'm really, in a sense, by God's grace, nailing them in a good sense where they are with appropriately either encouragement or challenge or whatever, you know, and saying, now wait a minute, wait a minute. This happened to one gal. Fear. That's what she came in for. The root of that was anger. That was really the dynamic of the heart that was driving her. And once, once I, I saw that and got appropriate, you know, the fear got taken care of secondarily. You know, it was a particular fear of riding public transportation in Philly, but you know, you know what that is. You know, it wasn't because she was going to get beat up or whatever, but it was, you know, uh, it was a phobic response that it, because of some stuff in her life. And, but when she dealt with the anger and her relationship with God got right, the fear took care of itself. So it's, it's really, it's like medicine. It's the proper diagnosis of what the problem is and adapting a step-by-step uh, -step procedure to address that. That's when you're most successful. And, and that's really God's providence in terms of, of, of coming up with that. Yes, ma'am. So what do you say to someone who may be come, coming in with the expectation of the formula? Okay, what, what do you say to the person that comes in with, there are no formulas. Christ is the answer. But in time and space, you have to live that out. And I tell people, you come here to solve a problem. I got a bigger fish to fry, your relationship with God. If we can help you with the problem, good. I'm not even guaranteeing that. But I can guarantee that you'll be the right kind of person in right relationship with God. And that'll give you the comfort. So I'm right up front with people anymore and say, hey, you know, it's usually he brings her in to fix her. She brings him in to fix him. And I go, I don't fix anybody. That's God's job. Okay, now here's the deal. Before I want to help you, I'm God's representative. So if the person doesn't want biblical counseling, I'm not even going to counsel them. So right up front, I'm honestly in advertising. What are you here for? Let's negotiate this agenda. Here's where I'm going to be going. Are you willing to do that? Nope. I don't want to hear from the Bible. Okay, I can't counsel you. Well, just tell me, don't tell me it's from the Bible. It's plagiarism, you know, you know. <laughs> It's God's word. I got to give him credit for it. I, you know, so you, we negotiate that, and you're right up front with the person. Okay. okay. Uh, I'll be here if anybody wants to ask other questions. But you only have now 28 minutes until the next workshop. Okay. And I got to get ready for that one too. So. Okay. Thank you. Copyright 2017. IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.